0: And today's gospel reading is John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Well, thank you again for indulging me. I'll repeat this every week for visitors. I'm currently moving through a series where I am preaching on texts that speak to um, certain areas that I visited while on my trip to the Holy Land back in May. And so I believe this is the third week we've had this time together. And today I'm excited to share with you a little bit about the site where Jesus multiplied The fish and loaves, or at least the site that is traditionally associated with or believed to be the site where Jesus multiplied the fish and loaves. Technology is coming through for us. We're going to be in the same region that we were last week. In fact, we're going to be in a small region today called Tabgah. Tabgah is where you see right here. It's more or less the exact same place as Capernaum where we were last week on the northern northwestern part of the Sea of Galilee, right on the coast. Tabga is actually 1.8 miles from Capernaum, where we talked about last week, where Jesus drove out the demon in the synagogue and then went to Peter's mother-in-law's house to heal. 1.8 miles. So if you can imagine, that would be about here down to the YMCA, or where Cheshire used to be. That's about 1.8 miles, if you want some idea of how far apart these places are tabga is a region that includes the traditional locations of the multiplication which we'll be speaking of today and the restoration of peter which we will talk about in a couple of weeks Tabgha is not mentioned in the bible because well it wasn't named that yet it's a corruption of a greek word for seven springs Heptipagon, probably that's how you say it i'm just guessing Uh, But that's how you would say it, and so when I say corruption, that's not something that I mean in an evil way, but oftentimes, as we talked about, when different cultures would settle on a particular city or region, they would take certain words from the language of the inhabitants that were there before. So after the Greeks may have came those who spoke a different language, and they tried to keep the city name, but eventually it became uh, the region or city of Tabka, which is where we are today. This is just below what is called the Mount of Beatitudes. That's unfortunately one area I will not be talking to you about on Sunday mornings. Just before we reached the Church of the Multiplication, we visited the mountain called the Mount of Beatitudes, which, yes, as you guessed, is the location associated with Jesus giving the Beatitudes. And The reason I passed over it is, A, I can't do everything, uh, because there was a lot to see and to report from the Holy Land. But two, there just wasn't as much to show. It's mostly just a field with a church there. Um, It's a beautiful place. It's a special place. Um, But we skipped over that. So that is looking down from the Mount of Beatitudes towards Tabca, or the Church of the Multiplication, where we are today. This is a picture from inside the Church of the Multiplication, actually inside the Courtyard, And you will know that this is not a picture I took because you see clouds in the sky. When I was there, there was not a single cloud in the sky the entire time I was there. So I got, I had to find a better picture because I guess what, I'm not the best photographer in the world. So I found a few online here and there that are better. But this is inside uh, the courtyard of the Church of the Multiplication, which you can see there in the background. There's an olive tree uh, there right in the middle of the courtyard, uh, which we will talk about again here momentarily. One thing I want to let you know about, I don't know if you heard about this or not, uh, but a few years ago, um, there was a fire set at a holy site, an um, arson, uh, and this was the site. The Church of the Multiplication was set on fire uh, by arsonists, and so I mentioned, I think it was last week, uh, what a sad thing it is that the holiest place in all the world for, for three of the world's major religions also is, is a place of violence and place of bloodshed. And so, fortunately, when we were there, most of the the damage had been cleaned up. The church itself, from what I understand, was not nearly affected as some of the porticos. So some of the porticos, the hallways that you see on the side of this courtyard, they had some damage. But the church you see in the background did not suffer. So that's very good. Uh, In case you are wondering, um, when you hear of extremists or arson, uh, someone setting a fire in this particular area... Um, I don't know what goes through your mind, but uh, the people who set this fire uh, were from a a Jewish extremist group called the Hilltop Youth. Uh, The people who set the fire were between the ages of 18 and 24. They sprayed messages that said false idols will be smashed. And it's, it's an important reminder that extremists exist in just about every religion, every viewpoint. We don't often hear of Jewish extremists, but in the same way that there are Islamic extremists, in the same way that there are Christian extremists, in the same way that there are extremists in other faiths, that is what we are facing here. The uh, Israeli government condemned the attack, uh, and once again, this is an extremist group that set this. But uh, fortunately and thankfully, uh, the church was not damaged to a great deal, and it has mostly been restored and taken care of what you're looking at here is what is inside the chapel so the church that you saw on the outside this is on the inside Uh, you'll notice that it is fairly simple in fact it was designed to look like what the old byzantine church that was built here in the fourth century would have looked like so you may look in there and you might think well that looks like it's from a long time ago Well, it was made to look like it was from a long time ago. You can see the simplicity of it. Sometimes when you walk into a Roman Catholic church, it will be either simple, it may be very ornate ornate and decorative, just like Baptist churches. You just never know what you're going to get when you walk in. I mean that in more ways than one. Uh, But when you walk into Catholic churches, you don't always know what you'll get. This particular church uh, is maintained and was built by the Benedictine order, which is an order of Catholics primarily known for their simplicity In in their monastery. So this is a very simple design, uh, made to harken back towards and look like what a church from the fourth century would have appeared as. So as you can see, it's not a huge place. Some of the churches that we were in were just massive. Uh, This one was not. This was relatively small. It was built in the 1960s. I'm going to show you a corner of this chapel because there's a few things you will want to be uh, aware of. Uh, Like other sites, this site was built on top of multiple other churches. That will be a theme throughout these presentations where sometimes as far back as the 4th or 5th century, a church was built on these holy sites. They were pillaged or they were damaged or they were left abandoned, so they would then go away. And then eventually, when they were rediscovered, a new church was built on top. So what you're seeing, uh, as you look, you're seeing this is, of course, the new church, these white walls and everything built here. This, these black stones are from the 5th century church um, that is still there. So it was still used as part of the foundation of this church that was built in the 1960s. So these stones were from a 5th century church, and you'll see right here, this is not uncommon in some of these holy sites and churches. There will be a window where you can peer down into the floor. In this particular window, though we couldn't get too close, you could look down and see some of the remains of the 4th century church. And so many times you were looking through, and though you couldn't always see the above ground, you could look below ground and see churches that were built long, long ago, no more than two or three centuries after the time of Christ. And of course, in even those circumstances, those churches were sometimes built on old homes or old caves that were believed to be those sites where Jesus walked. The other thing you'll probably notice as you look are these beautiful mosaic floors. These mosaic floors were original to the 5th century church. So these were preserved uh, for uh, many, many hundreds of years and were able to be restored and these mosaic floors are some of the oldest examples of Christian artwork that we had. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at some ancient Jewish synagogues that had some mosaics, and so that was Jewish artwork. But what we see here are some of the earliest known pieces of Christian artwork that we are aware of. When you look at the floor, you'll see various things, but most of what the floors consist of are plant and animal life that you would find in the region. So what you're looking on Here, Uh, take your guess. Who knows what kind of bird it is? You might be able to figure out um, what it is, because I'm not even sure, and we we don't know, but it's a bird that would have been found in that area, and who knows, maybe that branch beside is an olive branch or something like that, which wouldn't be surprising. Of course, olive branches uh, at the time were uh, used in the same way that we use them today, uh, um, something that means peace or victory, and so that would have been uh, not uncommon to find on a church floor. So once again, to go through the history, there was a 4th century church built on the location that it was believed that Jesus blessed and multiplied the loaves and fish. A 5th century church was then built on top and was eventually pillaged and lost, and then the 20th century was rediscovered, and a church was built there as well. This is the mosaic that we have once again now. Probably the most important part of this church you see right here. This is the altar area. We were not allowed to walk up towards it, but you can still see the floor. You can see the mosaic floor that is still there. You see the altar here. Um, Whenever we walked into a church, it, it could be one of three things. One, there may be mass going on. There were several times we were not allowed to walk into a chapel because mass was occurring. There were times where there was a mass occurring, and we were still allowed to walk in and to observe and to take pictures. And there were some times like this when there was no particular mass occurring. Nothing was going on. We could simply walk in and wander around and take pictures how we please. So you'll see the altar here. There's no service going on. But you'll notice this rock right here. And this is something that uh, we will begin to look at, especially in the next few weeks, and looking at what we call venerated uh, or you know particularly holy objects or things that are left over from the time of Jesus. And so if you get a little closer, um, you will see that rock. That is the rock that is traditionally associated, it is the rock on which Jesus blessed the loaves and fish. Um, And so this rock, you can see there's a candle on it. Um, You'll see the mosaic there beside it. It's this mosaic of a basket of uh, loaves and then two fish. And this would have been, of course, from the 5th century. So from a very early time, they associated this rock, or this rock was believed to be the rock on which the loaves and fish were laid. So it's very special to be near something like that. Of course, once again, one of the questions that I would get, are are you sure? I mean, you know that is the rock? Well, it it could be. It very well could be. And from a very early time, the Christians believed it to be so. There's no way of knowing exactly for sure. But what I can tell you in circumstances like this is this, this is what really helps bring the Scripture to life. When you're standing in a region, in a place that you know Jesus came through there, and when you're standing in a place, when you know that Christians from all the way back in the 300s and prior associated this site with where Jesus blessed and multiplied the fish and loaves, you know you're standing on holy ground. And it's holy ground because you have people from all over the world coming together and praying and thinking on this sign that we read of in John. It's truly a special, special time. So this mosaic is one of, the, um, one of the most important mosaics of ancient Christian art that once again tells us, because it was placed right again, once again, you'll be able to see there, it's right beside the rock, meaning that those from very early on uh, chose this rock and believed this rock to be uh, the rock on which Jesus uh, cast that sign. We'll come back to this olive tree momentarily. They saw this sign, to get back to the text, The people saw Jesus conduct this sign, and I'm calling it a sign because that's what John calls it. There's nothing wrong with saying it is the miracle of the multiplication, the miracle of the five loaves, or the miracle of the two fish and the feeding of the 5,000, but John calls them signs for a very, very specific reason. And this particular sign gets at that reason because in that moment... Jesus saw how difficult his mission would be, I believe, because Jesus performed a sign of multiplying the fish and the loaves for people to eat and to be fed and to have sustenance. And what's the one thing that they could think of after seeing this and getting their fill? Do it again, Jesus. Give us more food. In fact, you'll notice at the very end of the passage, they were ready to carry him off and make him king. Could you imagine someone coming to you? They're not taking you to prison. They say, you are our king. And Jesus must have shook his head because he said, you've totally missed what I've just done here. You've missed the point. You can't read this sign. Jesus could multiply food. And so, therefore, the people around him said, well, Jesus could multiply our food. Maybe Jesus could multiply our livestock. Or maybe Jesus could multiply our crops. Or maybe Jesus could multiply our money. Or maybe Jesus could multiply our military so we can take over. Or maybe Jesus can multiply our land. Jesus must be our king, for we have seen this miracle. Jesus knew they were missing the point. And if you continue reading in this discourse in the later parts of chapter 6, Jesus ultimately laments on the fact that they were missing this point. He speaks of a sign that this miracle was to point to. Bread from heaven that sustains. Jesus being the bread of life, being the ultimate point of this sign... And not just the fact that the fish and loaves were multiplied because there were some hungry people around. There's something greater than what they can measure and see with their eyes that this sign was pointing to. And Jesus was seeking to make that sign to all those around, and they did not get it. Christians must be careful to look for the physical blessings of God around us, and to assume that somehow we are entitled to more stuff, or more food, or more money. Or we we need to be careful of the fact that we believe that somehow Jesus can multiply our wealth and give us a more wealthy lifestyle. That is not why Jesus came to save the world. Jesus came to feed us in a different kind of way. Not to do away with the sign of the feeding of the 5,000. This sign is a reminder that Jesus does provide even for our physical needs. But the sign points to something greater. That because Jesus has come to earth and Jesus walks among us and teaches us about the the kingdom of God, and because Jesus heals and forgives and shows grace... And because Jesus gives of himself willingly and goes to the cross on his own sake for the forgiveness of our sins. And because Jesus is raised from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. That is the bread we consume day by day. That is the bread that gives us sustenance both now and into eternity. Christians must be careful to make God into a butler one who serves us and gives us what we want at the drop of a hat or the ring of a bell. Jesus points to a much deeper reality that in Christ blessings can be multiplied beyond our wildest imaginations. In Christ our souls can be sustained and filled in a way that regular bread and fish can't do as much as I love bread and fish and I know you do too. They cannot fill in my life or in your life what the saving power of Jesus Christ can do. I want you to look one more time at this picture, this olive tree, a unique, iconic image of the Mediterranean region. Of course, the olive tree and the olive branch and the olive leaves symbolize peace and victory and deep roots, sustenance in the midst of an arid climate. It was amazing how we could see this arid place, this place that doesn't get rain almost the entire summer, and yet these roots of the olive tree are so deep that they can drink from the water that came through the winter months, and it sustains them throughout the course of the dry season. So at the Church of the Multiplication, there is, of course, the olive tree there in the courtyard. And I'm going to shift gears here for a moment. Uh, This olive tree is special, uh, and I want you to know that you are special. Because while on this trip, I thought of you often. Uh, I prayed for you. And I know you were doing the same thing for me. And I will always remember First Baptist Church. And associate. I'm not about to quit, by the way. Um, I realize how that started to sound. I, I will always remember First Baptist Church when I think of my Holy Land trip. Because you helped make it possible. You prayed for me. You encouraged me. You supported me through this journey, and for that, I will always be grateful. This trip would not be possible without you and without your blessing. So I wanted to bring something back for you, just as a small token of my appreciation. Um, We'll talk about Bethlehem at a later date, but in Bethlehem, there is a store um, that is owned by and run by a Christian family, a Palestinian Christian family, one of the only Christian families in Palestinian areas uh, left. And they make olive wood carvings. So if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you probably got something from this store. Or if you've had someone come back from the Holy Land and brought you an olive wood artifact, it may very well may have come from this store. And there are others as well. But when we were there, we learned about olive wood and, and how precious it is and the kind of process it takes to make. And so, of course, I wanted to buy something, some things made of olive wood to, to bring back, both for myself and for my family and for others. I brought my family some ornaments Um, of Bethlehem made of olive wood Uh, there was one humongous carving of Bethlehem made of olive wood during uh, that was that was supposed to take place during um, the birth of Christ and so it was a hundred thousand dollars so if any of you have money to spend head back to the holy land there is a one hundred thousand dollar olive wood carving waiting there for you if you would like this did not cost that much Uh, But what I wanted to do, I wanted to bring back something for you, and so I, I brought back this. This is a simple olive wood hand carving of a bowl with five loaves and two fish. And I want you to have it, because I also bought a set for myself, so that I can know that when I'm sitting in my office, whether that's here or at home or wherever I choose to place it, I will always think of First Baptist Church when I think of my Holy Land trip. And so I got you the exact same. I've got this for myself, but I also wanted to give you a set of this as well. So we're going to hang this in the office area. It will be a reminder of me and hopefully a reminder of you of the ways that we, were to, we served God together uh, and the ways that we are deeply rooted in our faith here, just like an olive tree, and the ways that God and God's spirit multiplies the things that we do around here. That Though we, we may be small in number, uh, God is working through this church and multiplying what we do together. And so I will always remember First Baptist Church uh, as I think on this Holy Land trip. We have offered bread, little, literal bread, to this community in Jesus' name, haven't we? We, we? We've done that together, and we've also shared the bread of life in this place for over 100 years. And so I will have a set in my office, whether I'm here for another day or another 100 years, uh, but also First Baptist Church will have the same set. So I will always think of you. Uh, when I think about my Holy Land trip. But it is a reminder. It is also meant to be a reminder. It is a thank you, but it is also a reminder and a challenge for us to always be a sign, to always be a sign of the bread from heaven that we feed on daily as the church of Jesus Christ, which continually multiplies and feeds the people, not just of this church, but also of Black Mountain. And so my challenge to you today, be the sign. Make sure that as you serve Christ, when you walk out these doors, that you are signaling to people or pointing people beyond yourself, pointing them to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ who saves us, who blesses us day by day, yes, in physical ways, but who also blesses our souls and heals us has promised us eternal life. Let's pray together.